Today's video was recorded on May 3rd, 2022, and this is the 15th in our series through the book of Exodus. In this video, we look at the Hebrew word for wilderness. So God takes the Israelites out of Egypt, that's the land of Goshen, into the wilderness so that they can learn how to rely entirely upon him for having their needs met. So understanding the root of the Hebrew word for wilderness, which is midbar, helps us to see why it's important that God takes the Israelites into such a harsh environment as the desert. And there is a wilderness or desert theme that runs throughout the Bible. The desert is the place where we hear God's voice the clearest. Now, the biblical concept of desert also becomes a metaphor for when we go through difficult times. There may be times in our lives when the structures that we rely upon are stripped away and we find ourselves with no choice but to rely on God. And this is what the Hebrew word for wilderness helps us to understand. So we hope you enjoy today's lesson on the Israelites being taken out of Egypt by God and into the wilderness to hear his voice. So let's start tonight. The lesson's going to be hearing God speak. Where is it? Where? We'll talk about where. And then when is it? Do we hear God speak the clearest? And this is going to flow right out of this whole Exodus movement from Egypt out into the wilderness. Now, the picture in the background there, this is just, let me think, direction, just to the east of Jerusalem, just up the hill a little bit from the town of Jericho, which is down in the Rift Valley. So we had been coming up from Jericho. It was around right when sun, the sun was setting. So it makes for an amazing time. This is called the Judean wilderness. So when we hear the word wilderness, we live here in America, you might think the Rocky Mountains, but in Israel, the wilderness is the desert. So on your sheet, and tonight, I may go back and forth between wilderness and desert, but I mean the same thing. So this is the Judean wilderness, and of course, very few people live out there, and the people that do live out there are quite hardy, because it's a tough, demanding place to live. So, where do we hear God speak? Well, we're going to connect that to the wilderness tonight, and it's pretty amazing when you see it. So, this is our 15th part of Exodus, as we're moving through very slowly again through this book here. A book that I think is if we're going to get to become familiar with one of the Old Testament books, it's this one, because it helps us understand the message of the New Testament. And all of the gospel writers are echoing the Exodus and what Jesus is up to, to help us understand that there's a bigger Exodus happening. So the first thing we're going to do tonight is, if you have your sheet, number one, is we need to do a little bit on the geography of Egypt and to help us understand the way that they conceptualize things and the way, at, if you're an Israelite being told by this guy Moses, hey, we're going, we're going out to worship our God, 
and he says, we're going into the wilderness, what would they be thinking? Right? What are the, how did they think about the wilderness? All right. So if we do a quick geography lesson, this is the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And Israel, I'll put a star right where Jerusalem is. That's Israel. So Israel, right on that southeastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. You have Turkey, which is to the north, northwest of Israel, Greece, and then Egypt. You know, that is a giant desert there in the northern part of Africa. And Egypt is almost entirely desert, except, of course, you can see where the Nile is because there's some green. Wherever there's water, you end up with something growing. So this is where the Israelites are, somewhere in Egypt. In fact, if we go a little bit closer, we notice that just, just like back then, all the people lived right next to the water. So you have the Red Sea. This is the Red Sea. Here's Jerusalem again. And then where that red circle is, is where almost everybody lives. So the pyramids are inside that circle. Cairo today is inside that circle because you have to live right where the water is. And then if we said, well, where do the Israelites live? And we just zoomed in a little bit here. They lived in a region called Goshen. So that eastern part of that Nile Delta. and of course, the one amazing thing about that Nile Delta is, if we just kind of stand back and look at a picture of, you know, this, this area here, you immediately say, that area there is like an oasis. Because of the Nile brings all of the life that's there, but you have to live where the water is. So in this little area, there's life. Well, what happens if you go either direction from the Nile? What do we get? Well, it's, it's death. There's nothing out there. There's no plants. There's no water. There's no shelter. There's nothing. So stark realities on either side of you if you're living in that green area of Egypt. Now, just take that geography, keep that in mind, and then we're going to shift to something that the Egyptians, the way that they thought about the world, and this is number two on your handout, and there's two Egyptian words, which you don't have to know to understand the Bible, but it is helpful to understand the concept of what we're going to talk about tonight. And if you want to go look up and read more about these two words, the words are ma'at and isfet. And we've talked briefly about these in the past, but we're going to go over them again. Ma'at is truth, order justice. It's harmony. It's the cosmos are in balance. So when everything is right in the world, it's ma'at. And ma of course, they take this concept and they turn it into a goddess. So God, ma'at is a goddess to be worshipped, but it's also just the idea of all of that truth, order, justice, the balance of the cosmos. And the one person in Egypt who held the balance of Ma'at in his heart is the Pharaoh. And so he was considered 
as we've talked about before, semi-divine. He has the power of the gods to maintain order. Now, we'll get to does he or not, because of course he doesn't, but the pharaoh is the where the seat of Ma'at is. In fact, when we talked about Pharaoh and his heart, we talked about this painting right here. That is, this is the afterlife in Egypt, the weighing of the heart ceremony. So the heart is right here on one side of the scale, and the heart is measured against what's called the feather of truth. So they put a feather on the other side of the scale, and it's actually the feather of Ma'at. And now, if your heart is heavy and the feather goes up, then that little crocodile, lion, hippo guy eats your heart, and you, go, you descend to the underworld. So that's the judgment scene that's happening, uh, at least to the mind of the Egyptians. And of course, in the Egyptian mindset, Pharaoh is outside of that. He doesn't get judged. He's part of the Ma'at right? We're going to find out, though. No, that's not what happens. God steps in and says, sorry there, Pharaoh. You are going to be judged. And oh, by the way, I'm the judge. So, okay, the feather of Ma'at. Now, Ma'at, truth, order, harmony, balance, all of that, is you have the opposite of that. Isfet, chaos, disorder, injustice, disharmony, murder, lying, all of that that goes into it. If the cosmos become out of balance, then that isfet is taking over. And if you think about the plagues, how would the Egyptians have viewed the plagues or the cosmos becoming out of balance? And so when Pharaoh sins, the Pharaoh is going to be judged on whether he was able to maintain ma'at. Well, if Pharaoh sins, what happens? The whole place becomes out of balance. That's the plagues. So Pharaoh is sinning. He recognizes his sin. And of course, it's God that's throwing everything out of whack. And that's what's being introduced there. But it fits in their, their um, concept of the cosmos. So part of the plague story is that Pharaoh is being judged. And so if we go back to this picture, the Bible tells us, hey, Pharaoh, oh, by the way, you do go through a judgment. Uh, ceremony at the, when you leave this world. And by the way, it's God, yud heh vav -Hey, the Lord. The Lord will weigh your heart, as the proverb says. The Lord is your judge. And that's such a big piece of that, uh, the 10 plagues, uh, the battle that's going on, is that God is becoming the judge of Pharaoh. And so, yes, it is because your sins and the plagues, and it's really cool, because wait till you see the word that's used for plague in the Bible. Now, take Ma'at and Isfet, and let's connect them then to the geography around uh, Egypt, because everything in the, in the ancient world is connected not only in, to, the, to the gods above, but here on earth, right? So where do you suppose Ma'at is on that map? Order, balance, life, right? Ma'at is right there. Ma'at is depicted by the, the cycles of the Nile. And if the Nile floods every year and does its job, then you have fertility and food and your animals thrive. You've got shelter and water. And it's amazing, right? That means the cosmos are in balance. 
So ma'at, order, is where the Israelites live. And when God says, hey, we're going to the wilderness, the wilderness or the desert is isfet, it's chaos. And that's the desert. There's no structure. It's chaotic. There's no shelter, no food, no water. That's the desert world. So you have um, in their minds to be, go to be pulled out of Egypt or out of Ma'at, where all the food, water, shelter is, and being taken to the desert, then you can see they're grumbling, right? What, you brought us out here so we can die? Where's our water? Where's our food? And then God provides every step of the way. But he has to bring you out into what is, um, what would be considered chaotic to the world standards. So, okay, that's Ma'at, that's Isfet, that's the movement of these, um, of the, the Israelites. So we have a paradox. Number three on your handout is there's a paradox going on in the book of Exodus. And the paradox goes something like this, right? You live in Ma'at. You have everything you need, food, water, shelter. Yet, you live as a slave. You're enslaved. Body? Yes. Mind? Absolutely. Spirit? That too. It's not just your body is enslaved, but your mind is enslaved as well. So they live in Ma'at where everything is, yet they're slaves. Now, you could never imagine a country that has so much wealth and so much extra stuff, and so, it's so easy to get food, water, and shelter, yet the people are enslaved. Maybe not physically, but mentally. Our minds, right? I mean, you could never imagine. In fact, what happens in the world, uh, scholars talking about Israel, affluenza, we call it. When you get too affluent, you get sick, and sicknesses show up, and you end up being enslaved to something, right? Because it's not about stuff. It's about your being free in the world. So they live in Ma'at, but they're slaves. When God wants to take them out to be free, where does he take them? He takes them into the Isvet, into the desert. And it's in the desert when you can say goodbye to all of the material stuff and the comforts of life and rely totally on God. Make God your king is where you'll find true freedom. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But you have to have it integrated enough in your knowledge to understand that freedom does not come through having so much stuff around you. So it's the paradox. It's the paradox of what's going on in Exodus. And so in their minds, just like today, many secular people would say to follow God is to enter chaos. I'm free over here and I'm not bogged down by this God who has all these rules. But you're like, but you're not free. You've got all kinds of baggage and you've got all kinds of stuff that keeps you enslaved to things. And the real freedom for a human being is the recognition of God as king. So that's what's happening, is we've got a paradox of, of the movement. Now, here's our main question that we're going to talk about. Why then does God move them into the wilderness? Why does he have to do that? I mean, even the Bible tells us, eh, it's not too far up the road from Egypt to, to Israel. Why didn't he just walk them right up to Israel? He's got a purpose, right? He's got to bring them out there 
so that they'll learn to rely on him. To learn to rely on God. So why the wilderness? That's our that's kind of the main question tonight. And what I want to show you is just the word wilderness in Hebrew will show us something about what's going on. What's important about understanding the wilderness or the desert. So, uh, number five on your sheet. You don't have to know this Hebrew word. I'm putting it up. I'll put the Hebrew up there for anybody who watches the video later because I want them, if they want to go off and study and they want to look at the word themselves. And, um, it's, but it's not something that's totally critical, but it's really cool to know how, this, how uh, the Hebrew is working here. The Hebrew word davar, D-V-R. Now, in Hebrew, uh, vet with a V or bet with a B is the same letter, but one you make a B and the other one you make a V. So sometimes when you see this Hebrew word, it'll be dabar, or it could be davar. But either way, I just want you to know if it's written either with a V or a B, it doesn't mean that it's wrong, just it's the way that people will write it. So that second letter in there is a bet or a vet, depending on how you, how you want to say it. Okay, so the Hebrew word, devar, D-V-R, the verb, all Hebrew words uh, are based off of a verb. It's action-oriented. The verb means to speak, to declare. So devar is, I'm speaking. That's a verb, so it's the action of speaking. Then you change one little vowel in here. It looks almost exactly the same, devar again. And you get the noun. And I'll show you, I'm going to point out where the change is. The noun for DVR is a word or a speech or a thing. So the word of God is devar, but God also devars. So DVR, DVR. So you'll have to look close on your screen, perhaps, but the difference between a Hebrew verb and a noun is usually just one vowel, and it's that little vowel right there. So one looks like a dash, the other one looks like a T. You get a slightly different pronunciation, and now you take a verb and turn it into a noun. If you recall, when Jesus says not one little jot or tittle will fall away. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about these little hooks sometimes on a word. So if you look at, there's a little teeny piece that sticks out the back of that. That is the letter D. And you know it's a D because there's a little, there's a little jot that sticks out on the back. And D is very easy to mix up with this letter, which is R because R doesn't have the little jot. That's what Jesus is talking about. Those are the jot and tittles that don't fall away. Real easy to mix up these words if somebody's handwriting is not as, as great. But anyways, okay. So what's the, what do we need to know? To speak or the word is what DVR is. Now, from that, from the verb DVR, you get variance. And I put this on the back of your sheet. The DVR variants. And this gets really interesting because usually the variants have something to do with the main verb, speaking. So one variant, this is the first one I put on here, is the word plague. So in Exodus, 
when God says, I will send one more plague, the word is deber. And you say, what does a plague have to do with speaking? Well, perhaps maybe that's the way God speaks. He sends a plague. So there's, you'll see that every one of these, it has to do with communication in some way, shape, or form. So somehow plague must be a, a, a tool of communication. Uh, a, a next one is an oracle. An oracle is the pronouncement from a god. It also, same word, is used for holy of holies. So if God gives an oracle from his temple, where do you hear that from? Where does God live in the temple? Well, he lives right there. It's the place that God speaks out of. So oracle and holy of holy are the same word. And then, of course, another variant, speaker. The, whole, but the, whole, the point of me showing you these variations, though, is that um, they all have to do with communication. And that's really important to know, because when we get to the Hebrew word for wilderness, which you don't think at all would have to do with speaking, the word that we get for wilderness is midbar. So they add an M. Midbar means wilderness or desert. And that last three, dabar, is the DVR. Okay? So just so you know, the word for wilderness is derived from the verb to speak. Where do you go to hear God speak? You go into the wilderness. Okay? So here, I'm just going to put these on the screen for anybody who wants to study these words later, but it's midbar, so the D, there it is, I just underlined it there uh, in the word, and then the DBR. The whole point is, the word for wilderness, dabar, has to do with something about word or speaking. And this is so key. If we can recognize this, not only in the Bible, but our own lives, when or where do we hear God speak? It's when we enter into the wilderness, the desert. And sometimes things in our own lives clutter us so that we can't hear God. So what does God do? He takes them away. You know, if you're holding on too tightly to something and God says, no, I need that because you're not listening to what I'm saying. And when he takes it away from you, it hurts. Okay, so where do we hear God speak? Well, that's the metaphor of the Bible. It's the wilderness and the importance of the wilderness. Uh, when you enter the wilderness anywhere around Egypt or in Israel, it's total reliance on God. He has to be your shepherd. So the desert is a place that strips you of anything that's comfortable in your life. There's no food, there's no shelter, there's no, the sun is beating down terribly, it's freezing cold at night, right? You have to rely on God as the shepherd. That's why the shepherd metaphor is so powerful, not just that we're like sheep. Chaos, in the prophets, they talk about chaos as being in the desert with no path. If you lose the path in the desert, that's chaos, because you have no idea how to get out of there. You need a shepherd. The shepherd knows the way. The shepherd takes you to the place where there's water. The shepherd makes you lie down in green grasses. So if the Lord is your shepherd, he'll get you through. And hearing God in the desert 
is tantamount to survival until you know, obviously, how to live in the desert. But this is the whole point. The wilderness, that word wilderness, is the place. So what did God have to do? He took them out of Ma'at, the place where they had everything they needed, and said, nope, you're going to come, you're going to come learn to rely on me, and then you'll hear my voice. And they start hearing the word of God coming from the mountain. So it's really cool. We would never associate wilderness with the idea of speaking, but the Bible does. And so it's cool to know and to recognize these metaphors. Now, when we get to our own lives, the desert becomes a huge metaphor, not only in the Bible, How many of you have ever been through the desert in your own life? I'm not talking about the desert east of San Diego. I'm talking about a desert in life. We all have. We've all struggled and gone through times. The loss of a loved one, a medical diagnosis that you didn't want to hear, a a divorce or a child who's walking away from God, or something where it seems like any of those solid structures that we have in life the unseen structures that provide stability are suddenly pulled away from you, and you completely lack stability. Now, you could use the flood as a metaphor, too, but that's how you feel. But the desert is the place of a stripping where everything you thought you had, COVID-19 for many people was a stripping. Everything that provided the structure in their life suddenly went away. And what you find, and I know many of you have gone through very difficult times, and when you come out of that, what you notice is, if you're leaning on God, how clearly you can hear God in these moments where I, you know, you're on your last bit of energy, and all you have left is, God, you got to get, get me through the next moment, and he does. And it's, it can be pretty amazing. You go back to your comfort, and you kind of forget what hearing, you don't want to be in that chaos, but you realize there's something to it where you hear God more clearly. So we have this amazing journey that's showing us in the Bible that if we don't know the metaphors of Exodus and the desert and the chaos and all that, we'll miss it. We forget that they are living in order. They have this food and water and shelter, and okay, they're slaves to Pharaoh, but everything they need is right there. And God says, all right, now come, come, come be with me, right? And I'm going to take you out into the chaos. Notice it's perceived chaos, though, because in that perceived chaos, where they learned entirely to trust God, God begins to take care of them step by step. He provides for their needs, moment by moment. You never know. You don't, you don't plan too far in the desert. You got to take it right there, moment by moment. And then you think about, okay, what if, in order to hear God, we voluntarily take ourselves into the desert once in a blue moon? Maybe do a fast where you give up the comfort of food, or maybe actually go to a place in solitude, uh, a retreat where there, all of the things that you normally kind of fill your space are gone. That's the place where suddenly, once you can release all of that, maybe you hear God louder. Um, in the Bible, Elijah, when he is fighting against the, the Baal priests and Jezebel wants to kill him, where does he go? He goes to the desert. Where does Jesus go at the beginning of his ministry? He goes into the wilderness, right? Where does Paul go after meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road? He goes into the desert, into Arabia. 
They know what they're doing. They're going into the place where it becomes total reliance on God. So perhaps we can learn a lesson, and before we're just thrust into uh, chaotic moments, that we voluntarily get ourselves used to that and practice hearing God. Okay, so that's the main thing. Wilderness, uh, the word for wilderness, midbar, debar, has to do with hearing, speaking. That when God pulls them out of there, it's for a very good reason, so that they can hear his voice more clearly. He's going to go give them all the commandments, and he doesn't want to do that when they're, you know, when they've got distractions. So I want to show you, I'll finish with one last thing, because it's this really cool thing. Uh, we don't read the Bible this way, but uh, the rabbis notice this one little part as they're leaving Exodus that has to do with celebrating God. Because even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of finding yourself being sucked into a desert-like situation where things have been stripped away, you're always going to find a moment to celebrate God. And it shows up in a really cool verse here. So if you have your Bible, what you can do is turn to Exodus 15. And I think on your sheet, I put verses 19 to 21, but I'm not going to do verse 19. So this is happening right after the Red Sea crossing. The Egyptian army goes into the area where the water was, and then the water flows back over the Egyptian army. And the Israelites, who thought for sure, A, I can't swim, and there's this body of water in front of me. B, the Egyptian army is behind me. They want to kill me. And suddenly, God pulls them through that, those chaotic waters, and they end up on the other side, and they're safe. So. The verse goes something like this. Well, it goes exactly like this. So it says, uh, starting in verse 20, Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Okay, there's our verse. Now we have to go back a minute. You're living in Goshen. You've lived in Goshen your entire life. Every generation that you're aware of has lived there too. Right? You don't go out into the wilderness. And then one day, this, this guy Moses comes in. And he says, come on, we're going out. We're going to go out into the wilderness to worship our God. Come with me. And what do you start thinking? Where are we going? Well, I don't know yet. There's a mountain out there. We're going to meet God. When are we coming back? Not sure. That's or not to be determined yet. Okay? How long is it going to take? We don't know. I mean, there's a whole bunch of unknowns. You're walking into what they see as chaos. You have no idea when you're coming back, right? Now, I know many of you, so the majority of the people on, this, on our study tonight are in San Diego. So I wanted to use San Diego as an example. I know many of you have lived in your house for a long time. 
Now, you know the anxiety of moving. Heck, you know the anxiety of going on vacation. You're going to move. Are you ready to walk out the door tomorrow with no destination in mind except the chaotic desert? Right? What's our forwarding address going to be? Where's our, where do we have our mail set? What do we have the paint colors picked out for our new house that we're going to? And the answer is no, you have none of that, right? So imagine for a minute, just let me take you on a quick journey to San Diego. Because what's cool about San Diego is there's a desert just to the east, a chaotic desert, right? So San, here's a, this is a Google Earth of Southern California. So San Diego's down in that corner. You have, the cor of course, the Pacific Ocean that brings in the cool breezes. So you got your beautiful Ma'at-type weather where everything's in harmony. And you imagine that somebody comes out of the desert by the Salton Sea over here, right over the mountains, and says, come with me, we're going to worship our God. Where are we going? Into the desert. But where? Well, there's a mountain out there. There's a mountain that we're going to meet our God. It's called, actually, Salvation Mountain. It's right there next to a city called Nyland. And you're going to travel out. When are we coming back? I don't know. What, are we can, what can we take? Whatever you can carry on your back. Right? Now, for those who have, if you've, this is what it looks like, because I'm not kidding. It's a great example, because there's actually a place called Salvation Mountain. It's out in Nyland, California. If you haven't been there, it's a fantastic place. It's a bizarre place to go visit, but it's, so this is a real place. The, a guy many years ago, he started uh, building up this mountain with uh, bales of hay. Then he covers it in really thick plastic, and then he uses thick oil paint to paint. Jesus loves you, you know, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty wild place to go check out. Um, but it's out there in the desert, and there's kind of, you can just go pick your own little spot to live in and homestead out there. So, okay, but imagine, uh, okay, what are, how are we going to get there? We're going to walk, right? Okay, we go to Google Maps, and we say, okay, how, how long is it going to take us? 53 hours of, of walking. It's 60, 161 miles from San Diego to, to Salvation Mountain. Right? So we're going to leave. We're going to walk for six or seven, eight days, depending on how long, to go meet with God. Doesn't this sound glorious? Right? Now, are you ready to go? Your whole life there. We don't think of the people leaving with God, all of the anxiety that would have gone through, right? They live, yes, they're enslaved, but they're living in a place where they have food and water and drink. Everything you have to take with you, you carry on your back. So now imagine there's a family leaving, right? And the wife, as they're about to step off, and the wife says, well, wait, honey, I forgot something, I forgot something. As they're about ready to go, you know, so all of us, we've gone on vacation where people are running back into the house at the last minute to pick up whatever you needed. And the husband's waiting impatiently with the kids in the driveway. Come on, honey, what'd you, what did you forget? And she comes walking out and she says, I forgot my tambourine. And you say, really? Your tambourine? That's not an extra pair of clothes, not something for the kids. You forgot your tambourine? This is what the women want to carry out into the desert. And they know exactly why they are. So if we go back to our text and we say, the Mir then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, she took her tambourine, and all the women went out after her with their tambourines. And the rabbis noticed this. 
and they say, why are they carrying tambourines? First of all, why does the text tell us about the tambourines? Why does it tell us twice to make sure you know they're carrying their, the tambourines? Like, we don't read the text that way, but if we were so familiar with the text, we would say, why is it in there twice? What is this, after, what is this telling us? Even in the midst of the chaos, and this is what the rabbis noticed, the women knew the type of God. They, were, they had the sense of the type of God that we were following is that in, even in the midst of that chaos, God is going to show up to do a miracle, and you need to be prepared to celebrate. So the question is, do you have your tambourine ready? Because wherever you are, whatever desert you might be going through, whatever is happening in life, whatever is going to happen tomorrow or next week or six months from now, we don't know. In the midst of that chaos, God's going to show up, and we need to be able to celebrate and they noted that the women were much more willing or able to recognize the moments of celebration than the men were. The men were over there grumbling about everything, and the women are there celebrating. So they knew ahead of time, and I think this is really cool because when I think about Bonnie and I, she is way more, she is so much quicker to celebrate what God has done as I'm still kind of wrestling with whatever's happening. So I always have to follow her lead in the celebration. And I think that that generally is the rule when it comes to men and women, that women will lead the celebration first. And we need to be able to uh, be prepared to celebrate God in these amazing moments. So the question you have to ask yourself is, do you have your tambourine ready? Are you ready to celebrate what God's about to do, even in the midst of the chaos? So it's a great little lesson in the middle of all of this as they're being pulled into the desert. So, okay. Uh, so review, just real quick, because we're running out of time, as usual, is Ma'at versus Isfet, for the, the Israelites to come out of Egypt and into the wilderness, we have to recognize that they have a conception already of ordered chaos, and that they connect it to the there on the ground to where they live. And so then we end up with a paradox, that you can live in a place that has everything you need and still be enslaved to something which is kind of the story of our lives. Next, really cool, is that word for wilderness, midbar, debar, has to do with God speaking or hearing words. So what do we need to do to hear God's words? Well, you take the desert metaphor and you say, how, do we, how can we apply that to our own lives to hear God more? Or you could say, Yes, I don't want to go through a desert. I don't want to go through difficult times. But when I am in difficult times, I'm going to rely on God and seek to hear his voice. And then finally, yes, we're all going to go through difficult times, but are you prepared? Did you, did you remember to pack your tambourine for the, the journey for the next 40 years? Because you're going to have moments in time when we're going to celebrate God, even in the midst of all of that chaos. So the women of uh, Miriam and all the women there in Exodus teach us that lesson so that we can be prepared ahead of time. So, okay, that's hearing God speak in the desert. And um, as I mentioned, uh, next week we're going to go, It's I think it's Exodus 17. It's when they have the Amalekites. They get attacked by the Amalekites. Moses raises his staff. We'll look at that word 
that they use for the staff, and then uh, what it's telling us about uh, our posture towards God or what the idea behind raising up a banner does that when the, in the, when the Israelites look at the banner, they suddenly start winning in this battle. So we'll do that uh, next week. <laughs>